You know, I was I was just so unaccustomed to using my brain. <laughs> All I knew to do was submit and obey. Stay tuned to hear Sarah Daigle speak on being raised in a conservative Amish community and later escaping a troubled marriage. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Welcome to Positively Joy. Are you living life but feel like something's missing? You've come to the right place. I'm your host, Yvette Walker, and here we discover the true meaning of joy and learn that it's not just a feeling, it's faith. Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 15 that we can be filled with the only joy that will complete us simply by abiding in the Father's love and doing His will. This season, we will explore finding joy by walking with God in our everyday lives. Stay with us and hear other stories as they too have walked this path of discovery. Sarah Daigle was raised in an Amish community. When she married, her history of obedience caused her to put up with a marriage that tolerated pornography and even considerations of possibly having multiple partners in that marriage. But these trials forced her to cling to the Lord who delivered her from that relationship. She also began to teach her girls how to have a blessed relationship. Make sure to follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. If you already follow our show, help a friend follow the show too. Here's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Yvette. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm really happy for you to be here too, because you've got a very interesting story to tell us. Uh, you've got an interesting background that, and I think all of our backgrounds certainly affect who we are. And I think your background in an Amish community certainly had an effect on the woman you have become today, the author, the blogger, the speaker. Uh, we're going to talk about some of your books, especially your new book. It's a devotional called Mothering with a Purpose. And so we definitely want to get into that. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that path, that faith walk, but also the community that you lived in and perhaps how that shaped you to become the woman you are today. Yeah, obviously growing up in an Amish community is very different. I sometimes say it's a little bit like being in a tribe in Africa compared to America. It's just I grew up knowing I was different. I grew up in like this tiny little community. You know, you don't really go anywhere except in your horse and buggy. And that's just a few miles down the road to the grocery store or to your little Amish school or or your church where everyone uh, speaks your language. And, um, you know, my first language as a child was a Pennsylvania Dutch, which is uh, a dialect all its own. And from there, it was English. So all of my friends spoke Dutch and my world is very small, but I would say it was, it was happy as a child. I had a very happy childhood. There's 10 of us children and just great parents, 
And I, I watched them give up a lot for the Lord when they got saved. I watched them be ostracized from their parents for leaving their Amish church and joining another Amish church. So from age six on, I watched my parents make huge sacrifices for the Lord. And, you know, my dad lost his farm and we moved 800 miles away to another Amish church that was not approved of by our previous Amish church. So there was just a lot of rejection early on. And ironically, that has stayed a pattern in my life. Rejection has been a pattern in my life that I've had to encounter and overcome over and over and over again in various forms. And um, I'm a super relational person. So it's been it's been a lot to process with the Lord. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that later. But I would say I'm grateful for my upbringing because it taught me, I think, the, the discipline. You know, as adults, we grow up and life hits hard and we really have to be able to be adults. <laughs> and I think the way my parents raised me helped prepare me for what I would face earlier in life. I, I was just taught to put my feelings aside and do what I needed to do. And I think that's kind of a lost art in parenting and in our culture. Um, we're, we're so taught to cater to our kids or, or will damage their emotions or, you know, don't make them wait for dinner or, or that's abusive because no one can live with a little bit of a hungry stomach. You know? I mean, it's just, our culture has become ridiculous when it comes to really training. So I'm grateful for that in my upbringing. And, and I see how God used like the rigorous lifestyle and discipline to prepare me for, for my life as it is today. And you certainly had I mean, a happy childhood, but it wasn't necessarily an easy childhood. Uh, so of your nine siblings and you, uh, I think you told me that there were seven girls, three boys. The girls were in the serving capacity, right? Because that's what yeah. happened in the community. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned that at mealtimes, you had to wait because there was a bit of a hierarchy. Is that correct? At church, yeah. Like, like it's just a tiny little starving six-year-old girl, you know, sit for two and a half to three hours on a hard backless bench. Mm-hmm. And there, there was no Sunday school with veggie tales. You know, you were just told to sit. And if you didn't sit, you got spanked. <laughs> so, um, and then when the service was finally over, you know, the, the preacher and his family got to eat first and you had nothing to do but wait with his growling stomach until finally the table was cleared. The women were washing dishes for, you know, a few hundred people and resetting tables again until everyone was fed. And yes, the preacher and his family got fed before me as as a little child. So, you, you know, I look back on those things and, and that was good training. You know, it was rigorous and it was hard, but the same way with, you know, driving to school, I didn't drive to school in a heated car. I, I drove to school in zero degree weather in Northern Michigan in a buggy with no heat for 45 minutes. And my mom would take bricks and heat them up in the wood stove and wrap them in towels and put them on the floor of the horse-drawn carriage to keep our feet warm because even what was on our feet was regulated. It, it was black shoes that had to be tied. So no like comfy, cushy shoes with straps on them. So 
I just learned a lot about discipline. I just remember, you know, we, we were told what we could wear and what we couldn't wear and what we could wear was homemade. So there was no such thing as, you know, snow pants and comfy, warm beanies on our heads. It was different and it was rigorous. So obviously, you know, my lifestyle is different today, but I am grateful for how it served me and really, you know, from, from a child on taught to endure hardship, <laughs> not saying that you have to you know, live like that to learn that. But I did learn that in that environment and I'm grateful for that. And this, you know, in this community, as you said, it was a bit legalistic for you, but it was, there was a reason they did this. And and the reason partly was to serve God. So my question to you is, could you see that in the middle of that? Could you find God in the middle of that lifestyle and that experience that you had when you were younger? Gosh, that is a hard, hard question because I remember at 14 being hit with the awareness that my own obedience to my parents and my own outwardly good lifestyle um, wasn't good enough for And I just remember uh, weeping and praying and asking Jesus to forgive my sins and to be my Savior. That was a beautiful realization for me to come to because I had tried so hard to be good my entire life. I was freaked out about being naughty. Uh, Being bad was like a terror to me. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I had tried so hard to be good. So when, when Christ showed me though, by his Holy Spirit, that my outwardly good lifestyle didn't measure up. Yes. So I didn't know how to trust Jesus for my salvation though. I, it was like, I knew how to pray the initial please forgive me, I'm a sinner prayer, but I didn't know how to then take that into the next day and walk by faith, trusting Jesus. It was more like, now I have to obey God in every single little thing. Like if I'm eating chocolate cake and he tells me to put my fork down and not take one more bite, I better listen or I'm going to hell type thing, you know? (laughs) And, And that was one thing I grew up with as a child is, you know, sitting under heavy, heavy sermons about obedience and the fear of the Lord can be good, but can also strike a lot of fear into the heart of a child. I can imagine that. The Positively Joy podcast is a member of the Spark Media Network and can be heard on the Edify app. You know, it's pledge season on some public radio networks. We don't do that here, but we can't exist without your support. Join my friend SP in becoming a Patreon monthly giver. You can give as little as $5 and receive some great benefits. Go to PositivelyJoy.com and click support. So for anyone who's out there listening, you know, can you explain a little bit about what the Amish believe? Yes. Where my parents grew up in Pennsylvania, there is a lot of, you know, join the church when you're 18, get married, obey the rules after having your wild, you know, running around spree. (laughs) So my parents, they both did that, but um, they then later had a personal encounter with Jesus where, you know, same thing that happened to me when I was 14, they just saw their sin and and accepted the Lord personally, completely apart from the church rules. So they got a lot of persecution for that. 
And they actually moved away from the larger Amish communities in Pennsylvania and moved up to a very small primitive Amish community in Northern Michigan. And that all happened when I was six years old, but I watched my parents get shunned. Um, It made no sense to me at all because it wasn't like they were even going out to get a car. (laughs) They stayed just like, just as conservative and made very little changes, but just not following the exact rules of that exact church plus professing like I guess it's viewed as as proud to say that you know that you're going to heaven and you know Jesus Christ personally by his spirit in your heart you know there comes a point when you know that that you're no longer in fear and trembling of every single little rule in the church and and you dare to maybe be a little bit different and and that just brought you know, my parents were suddenly not allowed to eat at the table with my grandparents and, and us kids. They had to sit at another table off because they were ostracized. Mm. So that is from an Orthodox, large Amish expansion of churches. But then you'll find you'll find pockets of people within the Amish churches where they do really preach solid salvation And I would say there's still a lot of legalism in those churches, but they do focus on personal repentance, personal acceptance of Christ as your Savior. And that's what my parents raised me in. Okay. Yeah, that is, you're right. It'd be different if they were, as you said, suddenly professing very liberal beliefs, but they were not. Um, So if somebody were to ask, you would describe the Amish faith as a very conservative Christian faith, though, correct? Um, Christian faith, but not necessarily uh, born again faith. Okay. Uh, Christian faith is in, you know, even Catholicism is considered a Christian religion, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. There are, there are so many quote Christian faiths where, where they really don't understand what Jesus meant when he spoke to Nicodemus in the night about being born again. So th- there's that difference there, but technically Christian, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a mom now, and so you just mentioned that even though there were challenges and very structured living, you had a happy childhood. But you're a mom now. You know, I, I'm guessing that you do not exactly parent your children like you were parented. Um, are there some aspects of that hard work that you do institute now with your children? What do you teach them that you think uh, perhaps came as part of your own upbringing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, One thing I'm really passionate about is talking to my children about Jesus, about the Lord, about the Bible. I I don't think that it's up to the church to raise my children to know the Lord. Um, I don't send my little boy to Sunday school and expect that Sunday school teacher to give him all the tools that he needs to grow up with. So my dad raised us with daily Bible reading and prayer, and he would explain the scriptures to us. And, and I'm really passionate about that. I don't get it done every day, but there are times, you know, even where I'm at work and, you know, I, I tell my little boy, you know, read three chapters and then call mom and let me know what you read. And, mm. Or I'll be, you know, hollering at the stairs at 930 at night for my teenagers to come down for Bible time. And they'll be like, mom, we're so tired or we're busy. And I'm like, come on, get yourselves down here, you know, because it's really important to me. I really appreciate that foundation. So there's that. And then I also um, 
focus on work ethic. I really am passionate about getting my kids to start helping with chores from a young age. And and that kind of transfers into their teen years where, you know, it's Friday and everybody just knows the house is going to get clean today. And that 16-year-old boy, I mean, I'm raising him a little different than what my brothers were raised as, but, you know, he's going to grab that bucket and those spray bottles and scrub down all three of my bathrooms. And, you know, if he doesn't, he's going to have to pay someone else to do it. So (laughs) I'm passionate about a few things from my upbringing, and those would be two. Okay. And I was just going to mention, so you have two girls and two boys? I do, yes. And so those boys are not waiting for the sisters to, you know, clean their rooms at all? (laughs) Just yesterday, I told my 14-year-old daughter that she had to vacuum and mop my 16-year-old son's floor. She goes, oh, mother. I am not cleaning my brother's room. He can do that. (laughs) And I said, I said, well, it's spring break and he's been working hard on the job every single day this week. Like you're going to clean this floor because I told you to. So yeah, it's a little different at my house. The girls don't (laughs) expect to run after the boys. Wow. Wow. So, all right. So we, we talked about, you know, kind of growing up and then obviously we're talking about life now. But in between, you know, again, you had some struggles, you had some challenges. Um, you mentioned earlier that rejection was something you experienced young in the church, but also through other aspects of your life. Uh, on your website, uh, and you can, everybody can reach you at sarah-dagle.org, you know, you, you talk about your life a little bit and you talk about sacrifices that you made so that you could be a stay-at-home mother and homeschool your kids. Can you talk a little bit about about this part of your life and where you found God? Yes, gosh, that is such a a deep question. And and I'll I'll just talk and you interrupt me when you need to. But (laughs) I married a man from a non-Amish background. By this time, we, we had gotten our cars, but we still lived very conservative. So I would say we're more like Mennonites uh, by this time. Uh, and that happened when I was 14. So there was, there was a base, a, a small shift in lifestyle there. Mm-hmm. Basically we just, you know, bought a car and turned our light switches on. But um, anyway, there was this family from Washington state who moved to our community in Michigan, who wanted to join a conservative Mennonite uh, church And they had a young man close to my age and we ended up dating and getting married. And there was uh, just a a huge difference in in lifestyle and background and, and culture. But to this day, I will always believe that our marriage could have worked and it could have been really, really beautiful. But it was nine months after we got married that he told me not to visit my family. And, you know, later he's like, you're allowed to visit your family, but you're addicted to them. And, you know, you probably shouldn't be over there too much. And, you know, I was, I was just so unaccustomed to using my brain. (laughs) (laughs) All I knew to do was submit and Mm -hmm. obey. And um, I, I knew something was wrong, but, but I didn't know. I wasn't reading the signs clearly. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't know what kind of man I had married. And, you know, by all appearances, he was a wonderful young man. And and my father, 
trusted him enough to marry me. And so when all this went down nine months after our marriage, obviously my dad was devastated. And so my my new husband and I, um, we left. And um, from there on, changes uh, progressed pretty fast. We ended up moving from Michigan out west to Idaho so that he could uh, go to a college that he wanted to attend. And um, that was really my first introduction completely out of uh, an Amish or Mennonite community. And I have to say, I was so pushed to seek the Lord because I was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Taking my head covering off, I, I felt naked because I was taught that no man should see my long hair. So suddenly I was, you know, I was in a college town and by all appearances, everyone looking at me would think I was still Amish, even though I had no head covering on because people don't know the difference, you know, all those small differences between the communities that we all know sure. sets us apart. Other people don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. But again, all I really knew to do was to try to be the best wife and mom that I could be. And uh, I just put my heart and soul into it. There was no doubt that I was going to be married to this man for the rest of my life. And I was going to do my absolute best to make heaven out of it. Like I had watched other couples just work together so beautifully. And I was determined that I was going to do the same thing. So there, there was no question of you know, I don't want to move out West or I'm uncomfortable. So I'm moving back. That just wasn't the consideration. It was support my husband. And by then I was exhausted from the tension between, you know, my ex-husband and my parents. So I thought, well, maybe a move would be good for us and we can go start fresh by ourselves. But All of that, you know, I I adjusted and I slowly got used to a world that I wasn't raised in and and I made friends. I worked really hard to make friends. We had three babies in a little over three years. Mm, Yeah, back to back. Yeah, back to back. And I loved every minute of it. I was such a baby mama. I, I loved my kids to death and beyond. And so... It was as good of a life as I think I could have made it. You know, for for an Amish girl to move to a college town and live in an apartment, a crowded apartment with two bedrooms and one bathroom, that's a big deal because, I mean, I grew up barefoot on a farm with a ton of space and everything familiar. So, but I I adjusted. I, I really love people. So, my love for people really helped me to bridge the gap between the cultures slowly. You know, after a few years went by, I was pretty comfortable where I was at. Okay. So you basically tried to make that marriage the best that it could be. Obviously, you got three beautiful babies, but the marriage didn't last. And so uh, tell us what happened then. Okay. So before my fourth child was born, I became aware that there was a a pornography issue and that was devastating to me. But Mm. again, I didn't really know. Basically he told me I shouldn't have asked about it and then went on living as if nothing had ever happened or was wrong. But what confused me um, so much was that he said that he was, had viewed pornography praying before the Lord to see if it was right to view pornography. Okay. 
Yeah. And, and again, what, what I really want to stress here is that as a girl taught to submit and honor men, mm-hmm. especially my husband, um, my brain had shut down completely. I knew how to operate in a very small sphere and that was submission service and, and my children and loving my husband and, and doing what made him happy. But when, when it came to picking up on emotional and spiritual abuse, I was helpless. Mm. And I really want to talk about that. So the pornography issue, you know, really, I, when I knew he wanted me to shut up, I, I shut up and, you know, we kept right on having sex and it didn't really matter that I cried by myself and felt confused. I just felt so incredibly confused. Mm-hmm. So I finally spoke to an older friend of mine and obviously she was alarmed, um, but I mm-hmm. was trying so hard to protect my husband's reputation. But as we all know, you know, issues like that don't go away. They fester and they become bigger. So it wasn't long before he was talking about making comments like, you know, maybe King David, the way he lived with multiple women, maybe that's how God really designed men. And maybe the Christian church is suffocating men by expecting them to only be into one woman. And oh my gosh, you can imagine what that did to my head. Yeah. So now we had, you know, we had really good friends and they were open to discussing, you know, polygamy and open marriage. And I was unbelievably devastated. I lived for years, actually, uh, regularly getting together with those friends and living with extreme Mm. internal discomfort. And Mm -hmm. it took me years, Yvette, like, wow, it's even hard to picture it now, but it took me years before I booked an appointment with a Christian counselor. And I, I picked an older male because I was like, he will tell me if I'm the problem. He will tell me if I'm crazy. Wow. And you're still kind of blaming yourself in this moment. Yes, because he would. Mm. There's always one thing or another with other women or with the topic he was studying that that just set made me so uneasy. So, you know, he would say that I'm too jealous, that it's hard for him to be to want to be trustworthy if I don't trust him, mm. which puts the burden of trust on to me instead of him. And he would just make just a ton of comments like, you know, we, we'd be out for a Valentine's dinner and see a man surrounded with three gorgeous women. And he would say, you know, isn't there something exemplary about that? And Mm. That was right around the time he wanted very much to study, order a book on sexual liberty in a Christian context, quote, Christian context. Uh, there's there's a book out by a former pastor. He uses an, an alternative name, but he takes the Bible and twists the scriptures to where basically every form of sex is okay, except rape or incest. Mm. 
So basically, you know, a husband can sleep with other girls and a wife can sleep with other men. And, and my husband, when I agreed to study this out with him, he was overjoyed. And he said that that was the best time of our marriage because we could talk about everything. But the book came in the mail and I read one page of it and it was like I wanted to throw up and, and something just said, Sarah, you don't have to do this. Right. So I took the book and I said, please, the book came in the mail, please keep it out of the house. I don't even want it in the house. And I'm sorry, but I can't study this topic out with you. And of course, because my brain was geared uh, to submit and to serve and to make him happy, I was constantly second guessing myself. And I would even Google like polygamous marriages and what the wives experience. And, and there was a side of me that was always going, am I selfish? Am I Am wow. I wrong? Like, like, should I be unselfish and and really be willing to look into this? And I think the Lord, something would just rise up within me, and, and and I would just tell myself, I can't. And by then, I was going for counsel, and um, you know, the Christian counselor that I mentioned earlier, I was talking for probably not even five minutes, where. He just looked at me and he's like, Sarah, are you sure this is the man you want to get old with? And I wanted to laugh at his face because I wanted to just say, I'd, and I did say, I said, I don't believe in divorce. Like I will, I will not divorce my husband unless he's actually for real sleeping with another woman. And that ended up being the case, you know, the, the years passed by and he started talking divorce and then the 15-year-old girl uh, came into the picture and right under my nose, you know, they started spending a lot of time together. You know, I'd be alone up in bed and they'd be down in the basement with the kids. And Was she babysitting or something? No, no. She was my oldest daughter's friend. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, my daughter was 14. She was 15. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, when I tried to give... The, the girl some caution that blew up in my face mm-hmm. and he was so incredibly angry. I hadn't even talked to him about it because I knew that I couldn't, that it wouldn't yeah. be good. Yeah. So uh, that blew up in my face. And, and basically I was again told that I was not allowed to tell her, you know, what she could say or not say to him in his house. And um I was beyond devastated. And I just remember I cried, I cried a lot. Um, By this time I was crying with people that I trusted, Mm -hmm. but, but, but I couldn't give up on my marriage. I just couldn't. But again, you know, just being made to feel crazy. I remember telling myself, you know, he won't ever do anything with her. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm worried that he could, but he won't. But I saw how they looked at each other and I saw the amount of time they spent together. And I saw that he had time and energy for her that he didn't have for me. And gosh, that was just so embarrassing and so painful to have all of that happen in my own home. And I mean, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. It's against the law. So I know. And so and that, he, that's another thing. Yeah. He, he was a cop and a SWAT officer. And so I think wow. when I started being worried, the reason he, I, I know now that the reason he got so angry and threatened me and, and just literally raged at me at that time, I know that was because 
he was scared. Like he knew what this could look like. He knew what it could turn into. Yeah. And, and it ended up being exactly that, but that was because he then left and did Mm -hmm. (laughs) mess with her and it came out all over the school and you know, after that, there was just nonstop interviews and detectives and court for years, actually. And it's yeah. been, it's been four years now and I'm still not done with the court process. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, God in, in your spirit was telling you that this was not the situation for you. You're going to counseling, but you're also a mom, and you're also taking care and loving on your kids. And, and, I, and I know that that probably provided some purpose for you yes. that maybe you didn't see in other aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, it sure did. And, and I stayed with my husband because, you know, he wasn't living it out. And he would tell me that I don't know what I believe. I'm just researching it. I'm just not sure what I believe on this. So mm-hmm. even though there was that stability, uh, instability. There was also enough stability to where I believed him and I kept right on homeschooling my children and, um, you know, taking care of the yard and the house and his lunches and hosting, you know, the Thanksgiving and Christmas parties. So there, there was a lot, but Yvette, it was during this time when it initially started before my little boy was born, I was pregnant Mm -hmm. and it was that time when I first started writing and Mm -hmm. um, after that, I couldn't stop. And that's how the books came to be. Um, Mm -hmm. I I didn't, I didn't start writing purposing to write a book. I just started writing and then they turned, it turned into books. And there are so many files on my computer that will never be put into a book, you know, is, but the Lord used that incredible confusion and pain to really helped me to look at him a lot because I couldn't survive if I didn't. Mm -hmm. I went through, you know, season where I was having suicidal thoughts. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I would never have actually done it, but I just remember the pressure in my head was so great that I kept thinking, what would it feel like if that semi just crashed into my car, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. or, or why can't I like, crack my skull open to get the pressure out. There was just so much confusion, so much pain. So what I found with the Lord in the process is so beautiful to me. And I really see, I think there are a lot of women, not just Amish women, but a lot of women who feel such an obligation to their husband's ego, to their Mm -hmm. husband's um, self-inflated view of themselves to where they allow their minds to be shut down. And I'm so passionate about that, but I'm no feminist. I really believe in honor. I believe women honor themselves when they honor their husbands. Um, It's very undignified for a woman to disrespect her husband, Mm -hmm. but we have to keep a clear mind. We are intelligent human beings worthy of noble thought we were created to be such an asset. Mm-hmm. And, and as a friend once said, you know, a man is a cover. He's not a lid. <laughs> you, you don't shut a woman up. You take care of her. <laughs> so I love that. I loved how he put that. Yeah. 
Wow. So, all right. Well, let's talk about the new book, Mothering with Purpose, 90 Days of Encouragement for Moms on Mission with Jesus. So tell us about why you began this book and what's in it. Well, this book started with um, me just writing randomly. I get I get writing inspiration as I live my life. And I'll just, when I have time, I will hop to my computer and type fiercely for about 30 minutes to an hour. And then I will run off and live my life again. <laughs> yeah. So I noticed though, that as I did that, some of my inspiration was geared to women. Some of it was geared to moms and some of it was geared to wives. Um, Cause as I was learning, I was seeing the doormat that I was, and I was seeing something very different and very beautiful in my friends. And I was so excited about God, what God was teaching me that when my publisher asked for a book on marriage, I was like, gosh, my marriage has some deep problems in it, but I'm so excited about what I'm learning. She's asking me for this. It must be a God thing here. Mm-hmm. Have at it. Take my files, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was that book and the mothering with purpose. That book happened in the same way. It was just, just a ton of inspiration randomly as I was writing about other topics as well. But I love this book. This is probably my favorite one because I feel like as time goes on, my writing becomes uh, lighter, like less heavy, maybe more fun to read. And gosh, I just love my children. So this has been such a fun book to release. So, and I love the cover. Yeah. It's, it's you know, when you said lighter, uh, it, it feels that way. Yeah. But I'm looking at the cover right next to a picture of you with your kids and I'm looking at those two beautiful daughters and I'm wondering what you are teaching them through all of this, because, you know, children, children see, they see a lot and they, they Mm -hmm. see more than we think they do. And I know that you want them to be strong women to find, you know, the man for them. Um, So has that been difficult to be able to parent them as you have had to go through some things? Yes, I would say it has been. Um, They've always been priority to me. So there was never a question as to who or what is priority. Mm -hmm. But I I honestly have to say, Yvette, and this is is a little embarrassing, but I'm being vulnerable here. My oldest daughter helped me become who I am today. Mm. She is a strong girl. She has a strong personality. And she is the one who looked at me years ago when my ex-husband was pulling off just just a ton of yuck (laughs) right under my nose and in our home to where the kids were hurting and confused she finally looked at me and she said mom why are you still doing his laundry like why why aren't you kicking him out Mm. and um I really believe the Lord wanted me to stay and if he was going to make the choice to live in a way that our marriage couldn't survive that he would be the have to be the one to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but she, throughout the whole process, I was gaining strength to where I could show them strength, but she was also strong to where she was showing me strength. And, you know, there were days where both of us had to be interviewed and those were such taxing days on both of us, but I can only imagine she would come out of her interview just as strong or stronger than I was Mm -hmm. probably crying less than I cried. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
So I think that my daughters, what they saw in my marriage with my husband, they determined not to have and not to be. And I have to remind them sometimes that that doesn't mean being abrasive. It doesn't mean being brash or disrespectful. You simply have to know how to honorably speak your mind without apology, (laughs) you know, and and you're worthy to be heard. And so I, I tell them what kind of men to look for, Mm -hmm. what kind of boys aren't worth their time of day. We have a very open, honest communication. And I think that's so important for moms. Like, don't shy away from these, you know, these topics that we might shy away from, like we have to address them or our girls will do exactly what we did. Right, right. There's a part of your blog, one of your blog posts, uh, where you're talking about basically this journey. And you say, along with my children, I struggled to survive until I was set free from the grief that would have destroyed me. There, I learned all about grace. Tell me how you learned and what you learned about grace. Wow, that is such a deep question. But, um, you know, just the other night I was walking in the field and I literally felt like my heart had expanded physically. My heart was so full of peace, Mm -hmm. so full of joy. And, you know, I'm not dating. Um, It's not like I got married to a really good man and he healed my heart. (laughs) So. I'm really thankful for that, actually, because I attribute it all to the Lord. Um, and, and I think it's really hard to put the things of the spirit into words, right? God is spirit and he works in our spirit. So how mm-hmm. can you even describe a miracle? But when I was set free from, I would say it came slowly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was just no matter how hard my days were, I was going to trust the Lord. No matter how hard my days were, I was going to do what he told me, take care of my kids, be faithful. Um, And I think through that, through those excruciating years, it was like layer after layer after layer. Um, But I did spend a lot of those mornings still waking up with just that agony and and almost like in your panic, like, oh, my gosh, I'm single with four kids. What am I going to (laughs) do? But it's been in the last, honestly, the last several months where that feeling has just gone away. And um, I remember it, it was already happening in my heart, but kind of the final clincher was we had a conference at our church and the speaker talked about worship and it really just broke my, it really broke me. Mm-hmm. Number one, it was like, wow, my focus is on me so much instead of on Jesus. Like I sat in my seat and just wept mm-hmm. and cried in repentance. And, and when repentance is real and it's Holy spirit conviction, it actually feels good. <laughs> you know, the Holy spirit comes in such a, such a a sweet conviction, like, and and it's almost where we see our guilt, but it's, it's like beautiful because right along with that awareness comes the awareness of unending mercy and unending love and acceptance. So I experienced that earlier in the day. And then in the evening, there was another conference where 
everyone is getting prayed for up front. And, and I was up there and the speaker came in and put his hands on my head. And I've experienced that multiple times where people feel led to pray for me and they put their hands on my brain. And sometimes they even speak. They feel like the Lord's telling me that my brain, the chaos in my brain needs to leave. Like, And, and I always know what they're talking about because, mm-hmm. you know, everything I've experienced sometimes can just feel like, a never ending labyrinth of stuff to ponder and figure out, well, I let him pray for me. And then I literally laid on my church floor for probably 30 minutes and I cried and cried and cried and cried and I cried it out. And I just was laying there helplessly and I just gave it up. Every grief I felt, every question I had, Every fear I had, it was like it floated up to the church ceiling, but I knew that it was going up to Jesus. And I got up and I was a different person. I had peace like I don't know if I've ever had before. And um, wow, that, Mm. you know, there's the freshness of peace like that. And then life keeps going on, but you just can't forget that. And, and now it's almost like there's that peace, but it's, but it's like, um, almost like a physical indwelling it's hard to describe is so magnificent and so holy and so good uh, in my soul, in my heart. I almost feel it physically. Mm-hmm. So I don't have, I, you know, I, I have things that I, I did or didn't do, but I know that wasn't my healing because we can do or not do things and not be healed because those yeah. are things that we do when the Lord comes in and does it, it's a whole different story. Absolutely. And there's another line in here that really, I think, helps me ask this next question. The line is, and Jesus became altogether lovely in the face of tragedy. And my question is, when was a time when you felt the overwhelming love of God? Yeah, um, I would say many different times, but I remember uh, when my children were struggling and trying to cope with their pain by negative, you know, not in healthy ways, um, I I felt so broken. Mm -hmm. And I just remember then being so aware, it was like Jesus came and took my hand and he said, Sarah, I love you and your children just as much now as if you were still a homeschool mom and your kids were not getting in trouble, you know? (laughs) And that meant so much to me because I I was a performance driven person. I was, Mm -hmm. I was raised that way, you know, obey God or you'll go to hell. And then of course my husband uh, submit to him and keep him happy so that he loves me, you know, Mm -hmm. all this performance. So when I started realizing that the Lord didn't view me that way and he loved me as much in my mess as he did when I was, you know, quote, healthier. Um, that was huge to me, but then just what I described to you a few minutes ago about just the healing presence of the Lord in my heart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, The love is so big. It's so unending. Like we can't even grasp it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your story uh, and being vulnerable. And I think that there's so many women out there, uh, not from any particular background, but who may have questions and just wonder about their own lives and 
And you talked about that performance. You know, we you know we know that uh, it's not all about works; it's mm-hmm. about faith. And so, thank you for sharing all that. And definitely, let us know how we can continue to um, to read your to read your blog and 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 get in touch with you. So, tell us your social media. Um, I mentioned your website earlier, Sarah S A R A no H dash daigle d-a-i-g-l-e dot org but tell us about your social media and where people can find you yes i'm on facebook and instagram i keep it pretty simple um but i do post on there quite a bit and um, you'll just find me on facebook as sarah daigle and underneath there is my website and my profile is my website sarah-daigle.org if you click on that link it will take you to a contact page where I actually, I leave my phone number just because I want to be so available to women who need an ear and need someone to walk with them. And I invite people on that page to reach out to me either through Facebook Messenger, um, Instagram, DMs, or uh, my phone number. So on Instagram, I'm Sarah K. Daigle, but again, I'm pretty recognizable because, you know, the same website and mm-hmm. all that shows on my profile. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing with us and being so vulnerable. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Yvette. I am so happy to share. Thank you for listening to Positively Joy. Please leave us a review and a ranking wherever you are listening. Special thanks to music composer Morel Sanders and to editor Susan Marie. For more podcasts, go to thejam.online to listen to Journalists Advancing Ministry about journalists who have left media for the ministry. And go to amazon.com to read Whispering in His Ear, my book of devotions that include life lessons, prayers, and journal writing, along with multimedia songs and spoken word. For Positively Joy t-shirts and other merch, go to PositivelyJoy.com and click shop.